that spirit here since 1969 still those voices are calling from far away wake you up in the middle of the night just to hear them sing welcome to the hotel California, such a lovely place, such a lovely face. They're living it up at the hotel, California. What a nice surprise for your advice. Mirrors on the ceiling. Make champagne on ice. We are all just prisoners here of our own device. Into the master's chambers, they gathered for a feast. They stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Last thing I remember. I was running for the door Had to find the passage back to The place I was before Relax at the night man We are programmed to receive You can check out any time you like But you can never Welcome to the Hotel California Such a lovely place Such a lovely face They're living it up at the Hotel California What a nice surprise Bring your alibi Welcome everyone to the Tori Sess Show. So it's the 30th of March. Mm. There goes March. Boom, shaka. April's going to be a little bit longer. Well, in the beginning. Uh, and then things are going to speed up on the second half. Now, uh, as I've said before, every single piece of music I choose, everything I showcase is always has meaning. You know, we listen to music a lot of times and we don't listen to the lyrics. We're simply hearing things, right? We're not listening, listening. We're hearing. Like there's, there's, a, there's, there's a difference. You hear, it's the active thing of your ear collecting sound waves and interpreting some of it, melodies. But now it's like 
incredibly different when you understand things, when you understand vibrations, sound, and how it affects you, you listen to the words more. And this song, even though you've probably sang it many, many times, every time you hear it, you hear something else. And you're starting to understand what the story really is, not what they're telling you it is, but what it really is. So I wanted to say, so we're starting our mass um, deployment of these uh, letters to our elected officials. The state of Ohio is on ready. I have sent a copy of that letter to the admins to share uh, with um, the other groups, uh, the state groups, so they can go ahead and send uh, emails. Uh, we have nicely, someone, Jalen, has a list where he created this document that has all the um, emails of every single representative, state representative, state senator, and all the attorney general emails so that we can send the following letter. And I'll read it to you. Your office is responsible for ensuring consumer rights for all Ohioans. And I come to you with a mandate that you must abolish any unconstitutional and disciplinary practices of private and public owned establishments within our states. It is illegal under both federal and state laws to discriminate against an employee based on her medical, his or her medical condition with regard to employment decisions. And it is also illegal under both federal and state laws to discriminate against an individual regarding his or her ability to access all enjoyments offered such as parks, commerce, and education based on his or her medical condition. In respects to employment decisions, hiring, firing, promoting, demoting, training, and assigning an individual based on uh, his or her medical condition are illegal. In respects to equal access to enjoyments, discriminating an individual from visiting grounds, enjoying facilities, both recreational and commerce, enacting in transactions, socializing, etc., based on his or her medical condition is illegal. The selected Biden-Harris administration is determining um, on making it mandatory for persons to be forced to get a vaccine passport that would allow them to enjoy all enjoyments of employment, socializing, and commerce activities. No law of this nation mandates that citizens of the United States must be forced to be vaccinated to enjoy the freedoms afforded to them by the U.S. Constitution. In fact, there are many who cannot take this vaccine due to religious beliefs, personal beliefs, and or health reasons, and therefore, they will be limited in working, shopping, education, socializes, and in general, excluded from enjoying life. Article 1, Section 1 of the Ohio Constitution makes it clear. All men, by nature, free and independent, have certain inalienable rights, among which of those enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and seeking and obtaining happiness and safety. The vaccine is a determination of one's medical condition that should, that should not ever be taken into consideration for access to enjoyments, including and not limited to travel, education, commerce, and employment. The state of Ohio must ensure that any business conducted within its jurisdiction will never impose such unconstitutional restrictions. Once again, this is not a request. This is a mandate that you enforce our state and federal laws against discrimination due to medical conditions. The Constitution of the United States is not to be suspended because monopolies and megacorporations seeks to force American citizens to forfeit their personal rights over their medical choices, conditions, and needs. 
It is imperative that you communicate this to all businesses operating within the state of Ohio that such discriminatory actions will not be permitted in the state of Ohio and that they will be disallowed from operating in the state if they implement such discriminatory actions. I will be awaiting your response to this matter. Do your job. I think if we keep it simple, see, this is why yesterday Saki, when pressured, she said, oh, no, no, we're not going to make a federal law. It's private companies that are doing it. <laughs> see, the question you should have yourself is, you know, how are private companies allowed to, 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 to discriminate legally? They cannot. But then you can ask yourself, how are they allowed to even breach our HIPAA? HIPAA covers all medical information. So you trade your information out in order to access something. It's quite interesting. It's very interesting. This is a very big issue that they are pushing really hard. No wonder because the Biden-Harris administration has a lot of skin in the game with a certain company in regards to travel vaccination passports. Emoluments clause, anyone? Domestic, foreign and domestic, right? So for all of you in Ohio, let's click that send button. We've had that in draft and it goes, boom, it's done. I've sent it. Um, I urge all of the groups, the state groups to um, take that letter, slot in your uh, state's constitution in place of Ohio's constitution, obviously replace, uh, you know, the phrase Ohio with your respective state. I left it blank, not to say attorney general. I deleted that and left it blank, just going straight into the meat of it because it was sent to everyone. It's kind of concise and clear. Look, we're not going to let this Biden-Harris administration change the law because they feel like it. And if any company like Walmart, Whole Foods, Target, school systems, because that's conducting business regardless, right? And they're actually regulated by federal and state laws, so they can't force vaccinations done. But if any business chooses to do business in your state and they discriminate against you due to a medical condition, right? Medical information, you know, your medical condition is my condition, my medical condition is I'm unvaccinated. Your medical condition is you're vaccinated, let's just say, right? Then they shouldn't be allowed to do business, period. No one should discriminate against people. So they shouldn't be allowed to do business. Now I'm going to tell you today why there's so much panic. Because out of all the countries, out of all these organizations that are talking, the WHO is saying, uh-oh, hold on a second. So we're going to get to all that today. But I wanted us to start with um, some other news first. I wanted to get to um, Tarzan actually defending Saki. Tarzan, Chris, Tarzan, Wallace. If you remember, um, during the debates um, where, where I was with Million, we went down to the Cleveland Clinic. Um, Tarzan, right? That's his name. That's his middle name, Tarzan. And his wife's middle name is Jane. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys remember that. And then... After we started talking about it, because we're totally irrelevant, of course, and nobody listens to Millennial, Millie, or Tori, uh, Wikipedia took down his middle name as Tarzan. We screenshot it, though. We have that. So um, his name is actually Christopher Tarzan Wallace. So I wanted you guys to listen to the clip where he defends Saki, and he's getting a lot of heat right now. He is being bashed for refusing to allow reporters into the southern border detention facilities. One report uh, claiming that she is being less transparent than the Trump administration. Listen to this. 
But just to clarify, Jen, uh, that what you allowed a camera crew in to see the HHS facilities. What we're talking about here are mm -hmm. the border patrol facilities, the detention cells, the, the you know, the, these, I, I, there is a law that they, let me just finish, that they are not allowed to be there for more than 72 hours. Many of them are there for 10 days. At this point, in terms of allowing access to border patrol facilities for reporters, you are being less transparent than the Trump administration. And joining us now to discuss is host of Bowling with Farm uh, podcast, Eric Bowling. Uh, great to see you, Eric. Eric has been through a lot. But guys, have you noticed that Chucky has aged considerably? I'm just saying. Today, for sure. Thanks for having me, Heather. So you're probably seeing some of the video from our reporters down there at the border. You know, we've been inundated with these vast numbers of people, unaccompanied minors, families, um, older adult males as well. And there's nowhere to house them. And the media can't get down there to get a close up shot of what's going on inside these detention facilities. So just going back to Logan's reporting very quickly, some of the economic impact, the real economic impact of what's going on at the border. This is a humanitarian crisis brought on by the Biden administration, covered up by the White House and, and basically being complicit or complied with by the mainstream media. You saw Chris Wallace asking Jen Psaki one question. Where was the follow up question? Where was the when are you going to close the border, Jen? When when will we be able to see these these detention facilities? By the way, they showed us a detention facility, which was DHS facility, not the border at the border, which is an absolute humanitarian crisis. 772% overridden uh, the number of people who are in these border facilities right now. We're not allowed to see them because they're hiding it in the media, which is being complicit with the White House is covering up this massive Biden humanitarian crisis. Now, I found it interesting that Chris Wallace asks Jen Psaki, first of all, Jen Psaki comes on Fox News. She, she comes on Chris Wallace's because she knows she's going to get a softball interview. And that's exactly what she got. She didn't get any pushback. You remember the debate in 2020 where Trump was debating Biden? Remember how biased, how tough Chris Wallace was on, on pre current President Donald Trump at the time? Chris Wallace is liberal. He, the, Saki knew she was going to get a softball interview. She got it. She got no pushback. The question was, the follow-up was, Give us a date. Give us a date you expect us to be able to see border detention facilities at the border and see how they look uh, to the whole media. Eric, you know, they're saying that there could be as many as 22,000 unaccompanied minors come across the border in just April alone. We, we know that there are about 15,000, 16,000 already uh, mm -hmm. in custody. Uh, we know the president lied last week, uh, and I know that's a strong word, but he did. He said that he sent, they're sending most of these people back. They are not. Do you get the sense that ultimately they, we will get access to those facilities once they have moved those people out and either resettled them uh, or started you know, pushing them out to other, other types of resettlement facilities? You know, you make a good point. We have to be careful what we wish for because what they're, what they're doing, we, they're already doing it. The senators, 18 senators, went down to the border over the weekend. On the way back, on, on flights leaving McCallum, Texas, into Dallas and out of Dallas, there were migrants and unaccompanied, uh, they're called unaccompanied alien children, UACs. We can call them aliens because that's what the government calls them. That's what they were. They were flooding the planes outside of there. So what they're doing is they're spreading these people out into our communities just to reduce the humanitarian crisis at the border instead of what Trump did, which was send them back to where they came from or told them to stay in Mexico. That's what mattered. April 2020, 
we're coming up we're a couple of days from April. April 2020, there were 16,000 border apprehension. 16,000. We're at 116,000 already in March, and we're not right. even finished with March. We may see tenfold of a year ago hitting our border this time, and that's who we catch. Don't forget, the Biden administration is catching them, but they're holding and they're sending them into our communities. There's, there's something called listen to what he's saying they're sending them into our communities so they're shipping them out to different states all thrown into weird foster care uh you know and and it's packed it's jam-packed there uh ted cruz actually released footage um you know i'm only going to show his footage because i'm not going to play uh the the channel because the channel actually you know attacks content creators so i'm gonna i'm gonna share only his video um, so we can listen to the commentary. Give me a second. Um, because, you know, Fox doesn't want people sharing their content. And I was actually surprised. Uh, well, I wasn't really surprised. But let me show you this. There we go, the crackdown. I have to show part of this. So what I'll have to do is um, put it with me in it so it's more like this. So here we go. ...like the one you're seeing right now. Interesting. And Senator Ted Cruz slashing, clashing with what appears to be a Biden administration staffer over filming the current conditions. Watch this. You don't want the, the pictures rules. taken. The rules are arbitrary and we they're designed the to keep the American the people, people in the dignity dark. And are you respecting the rights of these this kids? This is not a zoo, sir. Please don't treat the people. You're right, and this is a dangerous place. Please don't treat the people And your policies, like un unfortunately, you, are trying to hide them. I understand That's you were instructed when 18 I senators came down here. I ask you to respect the people. Give them dignity and respect. I respect them, and I want to fix this situation. We all want and to fix this, the administration you're working for is responsible for these conditions. The overcrowding at border facilities is set to get worse, with officials expecting the surge in child migrants to last for seven months. And as for transparency, seven White House months. Press Secretary Jen Psaki is promising to let the cameras in. At this point, in terms of allowing access to Border Patrol facilities for reporters, you are being less transparent than the Trump administration. The Trump administration was turning away kids at the border, sending them back on the treacherous journey, or they were ripping kids from the arms of their parents. We're not doing that. Uh, I, we are committed to allowing cameras into the Border Patrol facilities. So much to talk about. Uh, Tucker, I want to start with you. You know D.C. journalists very well. And while many of them have said they're frustrated, they're not furious about the access. Why do you think that is? Because it's their candidate. I mean, they just, they just got him elected. So, I mean, they can't start criticizing him now. So why isn't, you know what I would love to see? I want Ted Cruz to do like a photo shoot like um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Or, you know, I want to see them posing in front of, you know, the fences crying. You remember when she did that? How she was, where the fuck is she now? Where is she? Where is she? Where is she crying over fences? Right? People claim to be meme lords because that's all the activism they do. Put that meme together. Share Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez crying over, you know, the gate again where she was posing. You remember that? Where is it? It's nowhere, right? Nowhere. At least he taped the woman showing that she was refusing senators to enter. President Trump never refused any senators to enter anywhere. Let's be straight. So... 
the border crisis isn't going away, but there's another crisis brewing and people are terrifying. I saw someone share it in the chat too. And I'm like, man, I guess you don't know how things work. Telegram was bought by the UAE. Delete Telegram. Stop using it. So dumb. So dumb. You forget what your president has done. When you see a message like that, boot them. Here's what um, <laughs> Chinese Dawn Television uh, is telling you. Take a listen. In his very first foreign visit to any country, went to Saudi Arabia. And you have to ask yourselves, why is that? I mean, what actually was going on there? I believe that Trump and Jared Kushner, whose family has strong ties, business ties, uh, and really depended on Saudi businesses and others uh, as a lifeline for some of their failed business projects, they had a transactional relationship with the Saudis. And Trump was really not following the normal customs or consensus of U.S. foreign policy. He was on the move. He was doing uh, and rewarding those who he thought were rewarding his team. And I think what, what Biden is basically doing is reestablishing the fact that even though the Saudis are considered a vital U.S. Uh, ally in this resource-rich part of the world, that the United States is really on top. The United States is not going to do the bidding of the crown prince. The United States is prepared to put the crown prince in his place. Again, there are no sanctions against him, so it's a limited uh, diminution of his authority. But nonetheless, for Biden to come out and say, we're not going to do any business with him, that means the crown prince is now persona non grata. That's a major blow. Uh, to his uh, his position of authority inside Saudi Arabia. So that was Saudi Arabia, which is, by the way, coming to meet with the, with the Biden administration so much for persona non grata. But I want you guys to see what the left is saying about how Biden can stop Trump's massive UAE arms deal. Remember, they didn't have any arms and no one was selling to the UAE, right? No one was. But President Trump did. He was like, yeah, why not? Let's make some money. They need weapons too. Let's go. So it says, one hour before Donald Trump left office, he quietly tried to secure one of the bloodiest parts of his legacy, funneling American weapons to Middle East dictators, committing war crimes and human rights abuses. <laughs> this is their memeing. As America's political elite gathered for Joe Biden's inauguration, officials from the United Arab Emirates signed agreements to buy $23 billion in U.S. weaponry, an arms deal. Hold on. The weapons sale, Trump's largest, would make the Emirates one of a handful of countries to own the top of the line F-35 fighter jet and give Abu Dhabi its first American arms. It's a multi-year project that would drastically change the balance of power in volatile Middle East. Supporters say that that would benefit the U.S. by deterring advertisers like Iran, but critics believe that the move will create a fresh tension in the region, worsen the UAEs. So as you can see... Biden halted the transfer one week into his tenure by placing it under review. And then you think that the UAE is working with the lefties. Stop. Can you stop? Can you stop? That's the leftist telling you this crap. You want to know why channels are being banned and while you're silent? Because of bullshit 
that you've seen from your same patriots, right? Your own people are banning you. Your own people are reporting you. So when I see stupid things like that, oh my God, UAE took over and they're just going to totally, they can't stand the Biden administration. They're not going to work with them. They bought it now. Tough noogies, right? Tough. Because the UAE has been sitting there with no weapons whatsoever. So I'm not saying that they're great guys. It's a nation that has had no weapons for like forever in a day. And they're reliant on Chinese weapons or Russian made weapons. And they want bomb diggity F-35 weapons from us. And we're making money and because they want to defend themselves. They know what China's up to. They know what Turkey's up to. That's what's up. So again, uh, it's important for people to understand that it's not the UAE that's silencing you. And when people give you that fear porn, you got to think again. It's so, you know, we need to just stop listening to the fear porn that they're giving you. The real fear is elsewhere and people are looking elsewhere. It's so wrong, so wrong. It's so bizarre what people are focusing their energies on and, and it's not supposed to be that way because they're in full panic mode and you guys are just not seeing it, but I'm gonna show you it today, how they are in full panic mode. Now, before we move on from the Middle East, let's check what um, CNN had to say. So they put up that now the ship has finally been dislodged and it's floating away, heading out to Rotterdam in Amsterdam. You know, um, it's not Amsterdam, it's Holland, right? Amsterdam's a city in Holland. So it's heading that way, right? Rotterdam. Biggest party central ever, best clubs ever. Um, super prostitution and drugs are Amsterdam, but that's like right down the road. It's like, you know, not that far. It's like, it's not, it's a few hours drive, I guess. It depends how you drive though. Depends. Is free and floating again. In just the last hour or so, tugboats dislodged the bow of one of the largest ships to ever sail the seas from the muddy clay on the banks of this, the Suez Canal. Well, earlier, workers managed to dislodge the stern. The ship had been stuck rock solid in the, month, uh, in the mud for nearly a week. Freeing up the canal for shipping traffic cannot come soon enough. Businesses around the world were already feeling the pinch from the pandemic. A shipping slowdown was the last thing that they needed. Well, more than 350 vessels have been waiting to use the canal. Others are taking the long way around Africa. While the canal may be cleared soon, it could be months to repair the damage to the global supply chain. Well, CNN's Ben Wiedemann is in Cairo following the breaking news for us and John Defteris here in Abu Dhabi working the global business angles on this. Let's start with you, Ben. What do we know at this point? This is a giant container ship. Uh, what's it up to and where's it headed now? Well, it was just over an hour ago that it appeared that the effort that has been going on around the clock since last Tuesday finally succeeded in freeing the entire ship, bringing it back into the middle of that stretch 
of the Suez Canal, and it is now uh, on its way north to the Great Bitter Lake, where we heard from uh, Rabia, Osama Rabia, who's the uh, chairman of the Suez Canal Authority. It would go to be checked to make sure that the ship is still seaworthy after this traumatic experience. Uh, but really, starting from the early hours of today, Monday, it was a roller coaster of hopes and expectations. Uh, just before sunrise, uh, the news came out that uh, the dredging operation, along with tugboats, was able to free the stern of the ship uh, and largely move it out of sort of its blocking position in the canal. But there were points during the day when it appeared strong winds pushed it back blocking the canal again but now fortunately the canal is open according to the chairman of the Suez Canal Authority navigation has resumed uh, in the canal and uh, there have been celebrations the ships in the canal blowing their horns I'd like to say the horns behind me in Cairo are blowing in celebration as well but I think they're just blowing their horns but I I imagine most Egyptians at this moment are saying good riddance to the ever given. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, ben is in Cairo. Um, JD, you've been looking at these, uh, the global business implications of what has been this skyscraper sized ship, um, which is now uh, wrenched away. Uh, from the uh, from the canals bank, it is being towed away as as uh, Ben suggested. Just what sort of disruption has this caused? Well, I tell you, this is a, a parking lot of uh, vessels still, uh, Becky. So we have to think about try to unwind this uh, backlog that we have right now. So we peaked at almost 370 ships. Uh, and the volume there that we have in the canal on a normal day is about 50. Now, this is going to be interesting to see how much they can accelerate it. The Egyptian government said under President Al-Zizi, we're going to accelerate it, work 24 hours a day. Maximum capacity, according to Lloyd's list, is 80 to 90 vessels a, a day. But you have to figure the time to rev up, get the ships into position, make sure that the safety precautions are, are taken here. So best case scenario, Lloyd's list says five to six days to uh, clear the backlog of ships that have been waiting there already. Uh, the CEO of Maris was not so uh, confident. He was saying six days or more, and they're the largest shipping company uh, in the world. Now, let's break down what do we have here. We have at least 10 vessels that have livestock. We heard a lot about the, uh, the cattle on these ships early on. We haven't had an update, so we're eager to hear that, of course. Uh, about 10% of those ships that I'm talking about, maybe 307. Hold on. So we've got tens of thousands of cattle. So... They put cows on a ship to ship them from China. Don't are we allowed to bring in meat from other countries? I mean, you know, it's cattle, but I, I just wanted to kind of just, I just, you know, I just is define animal. Overall, ten percent carrying oil and gas, petrochemicals, very critical supplies need to go into Lebanon and Syria, right? Because they're short of fuel. Their economies are in crisis right now. And to your point. On the supply chain, we have auto parts, textiles, foodstuff, all locked up at this stage. Normally, we have about $10 billion a day in terms of the value of goods passing through the canal, $400 million an hour. Uh, that has stalled. And in fact, we've had dozens of ships that said 
Uh, we're going to go to the Cape of Good Hope, uh, to the southern tip of Africa, into Europe and the United States, uh, because they lost hope and patience right now. So there's a confidence issue, of course, with the Suez Canal before uh, and now again after this. Can you deliver on all the demand on this key artery going forward is a crucial question uh, that we have today. But think about the option here, Becky. Uh, if you didn't unlock it and get it moving, we're going to have to have a crane try to unload those containers and put them in an, either another ship or on the side. It would have taken days, if not weeks, to do it. So the global community tonight saying, jeez, what a relief. That's the answer. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Ben, um, there are those who say this has been the biggest crisis in the canal since the 1956 war, alluding, of course, to the uh, Suez crisis, as it is known. Um, the Egyptians will not want another crisis uh, in this artery of life anytime soon, will they? No, of course not. And we have, we did see, for instance, between 2014, 2015, Egypt at the inspiration of President Abdel Fattah Hassisi spent $8 billion to create an extra lane to the Suez Canal. Uh, to facilitate further passage of ships, but they didn't do it in that particular area. And of course, the Egyptian government promised Egyptians uh, that there would be real dividends in terms of economic returns from uh, that massive project, and they haven't really materialized. And of course, one of the long-term worries regarding the Suez Canal is that other options are coming up the Chinese Belt and Road projects, uh, the reports of pipelines from the Gulf to Israel, uh, talk about opening up Arctic routes uh, between Asia and Europe. And so the, the Suez Canal, part of the reason why it was expanded was in anticipation of these sort of projects. But yes, the, the Suez Canal Opened in 1869 with a lot of promise, but it was closed for eight months between 1956 and 57. After the 56 war, it was closed from 1967 to 1975 because of other hostilities between Israel and its Arab neighbors. So it's had a rocky history and it hasn't ever really lived up to the promise that Ferdinand de Lesseps, the man who came up with the idea, of the Suez Canal had dreamed of. It had never was really realized. And certainly this incident of the past week underscores the vulnerabilities of the Suez Canal. Having said that, we've also seen an incredible effort by the Egyptians and their partners, the Dutch and the Japanese and others, to finally get this canal up and running again. Becky? Yeah, absolutely. Proper international effort. Ben, thank you for that. John Def Terrace in Abu Dhabi, always a pleasure. Thank you. Interesting. So, stuck, unstuck, stuck, unstuck. We shall see. Regardless, and like I said, the only thing that is important is what is it that they're not wanting people to see? Why are they being so deceptive in what's happening? Now, we did talk about Africa and Tanzania specifically, and their awesome president talked about him in 2020. Then, you know, he mysteriously died. And now in news, Tanzania again, apparently 
They have the most mutated COVID-19 strain. Are you kidding? Take a listen. The World Health Organization and regional bodies shows the COVID-19 strain has 10 more mutations than found on any other version. This is according to CRISP, a scientific institute that carries out genetic testing for 10 African nations. CRISP, which discovered a new strain in South Africa last year that propelled a resurgence of infections in the country, claims it has found the new variant in travelers arriving in Angola from Tanzania. Variants of the coronavirus have caused concern globally as, for instance, the one first identified in South Africa has proven more infectious and able to more easily evade some vaccines. Still, no work has been done yet on the version found in three Tanzanian travelers to ascertain whether it is more infectious or severe than other strains. At the same time, authorities in Tanzania are yet to comment on this new development. Under recently deceased President John Magufuli, Tanzania stopped releasing data on coronavirus infections and opened up the economy, including the resort island of Zanzibar, which attracts international tourists. The country's stance has attracted criticism from neighbors and World Health Organization. President Magufuli's successor, Samia Sulu Hassan, has yet to indicate whether she will have a different approach. Ooh, so now they suddenly have the most variant strain. Wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. It's, um, it's a lethal COVID-19 strain, actually. Report submitted to the World Health Organization by CRISP, a scientific institute that carries out genetic testing. The most mutated variant of the coronavirus yet has been found in travelers from Tanzania. The institute, which first identified the South African variant, reports that the new variant was found in three Tanzanians who had traveled to Angola. It is, however, yet to be established whether the new strain is, like the South African variant, more infectious or severe. What has has been established is that the Tanzanian strain has 10 more mutations than any other variant. The African Center for Disease Control uh, says investigations are underway. Viruses change, they mutate all the time. And the mutations that are of concern to us are the mutations that make a virus either more easily transmissible or causes more serious illness. If um, a mutation does not do any of these two, then it is no longer, it is a, a, a variant uh, to be observed, but not a variant of concern. Let's be careful in characterizing it as a variant from Tanzania. These were people who were traveling and they have passed through different um, borders and communities until they reached uh, Angola where uh, this, uh, these samples were collected. We are studying that very closely and we want to see if it will be uh, um, a mutation that can cause any of the two things I talked about. Huh. So Tanzania, the only nation in Africa that refused to follow the WHO's direction and didn't want to wear masks and didn't this, suddenly once their president is dead, they get this really viral strain and they're pointed out across the world is, is yo fault. Yo fault. Well, let's get to this situational awareness report. That's by Natek. Okay. I just, Ebola in the age of COVID. <laughs> so, so, so. And they did this whole meeting thing uh, in, on March 25th this year. Oh, Look at that. Such a coincidence. It's just a coincidence, of course, right? 
that they're going to talk about Ebola in the age of COVID. I just want you guys to see the beginning parts of this and what they're saying and how they're talking about it as situational awareness of understanding. Here we go. Dr. Anna Yaffe and Kate Bolter from Nebraska. You may have known us as the National Ebola Training and Education Center. We are now the National Emerging Special Pathogens Training and Education Center, but we've always had the same mission statement, to increase the capability of the United States public health and healthcare systems to safely and effectively manage individuals with suspected and confirmed special pathogens. There are four arms to DTEC, assessment, education, technical assistance, and a research network. All of these arms talk to each other. And even though in this day, we let's just, even though in this day, this area here called the specimen biorepository has no specimen of COVID-19. I just want to point that out, just saying. So let's skip ahead. Here we go. Serious Communicable Diseases Unit at Emory University Hospital. Ebola. Many of you thought probably it had kind of disappeared in 2016 when we controlled the outbreak in West Africa. But as you can see on this slide, that's far from the truth. For the last five years, ever since 2016, Ebola has remained a smoldering problem in Africa. You have to think about the Congo, though. We got to visit Congo and figure out why everything, you know, is pumping out of Zaire. Primarily in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And there's been at least one outbreak each year since that time. One of them in 2018 to 2020, infecting over 3,000 individuals and killing over 2,000. We look at where things are today. Not surprisingly, there is an ongoing outbreak in the Democratic Republic of the Congo as we speak. It is in North Kivu province, which is where the 2018-2020 outbreak occurred. And that's where they first delivered COVID vaccines. So weird, just so, so, it's bizarre. Exact numbers are very difficult to obtain, but we estimate somewhere about 12 to 15 cases and around five to 10 fatalities. The number of cases, as you see on this graphic, we believe is still small. And unlike 2014 to 2016, we now have a very robust vaccination program going on with ring vaccination to try and contain the and new. Next slide. We look at what individuals coming back from the DRC or from the uh, from Guinea, how they will be evaluated by Customs and Border Patrol in Europe and the United States. It was clearly supportive care which made the difference. Later, but I just wanted to bring to your attention to the fact that our PPE use is a form of isolation as well. All right, so uh, they're already preparing, but here's where you're going to be really angry. This is, this is, you know, this whole thing about the control of virus is is quite startling, and you're going to understand why they did it. 
They didn't do it just to kill you. I mean, yeah, killing a few of you, they had to, or else they can't scare you into going and not just getting the vaccine so they can experiment on you. This is a mass global experiment, right? It's not just that. It's for you to forfeit more of your rights. You'll see. They're panicking. Because what if the whole world forfeits their rights, but the United States of America doesn't? Then you'll be very glad we have a wall. Because people will be coming like zombies trying to crawl up our walls. Don't believe me? I said it two years ago. I said it a year ago. You're going to see it happen. This is why we got to hurry this up, President Trump. We really do. Because they're stepping their game up. And they're not hiding it at all. Um, I wanted to introduce you to something that PBS actually put out, which was quite fascinating. I've told you that your genetic code has no such thing as junk DNA. That's one thing when I was in school that they kept on, you know, pushing and pumping. And there were genes that they said they didn't know why they existed and why some people have some genes and others don't. And that just makes them different. But there were actually papers written by, um, you know, geneticists for years claiming that there are genes that we no longer have, uh, this thing called molecular evolution. And this is right before we intervened artificially to amplify that. Geneticist Susumu Ono, an early leader in the field of molecular evolution, wrote, The Earth is strewn with fossil remains of extinct species. Is it a wonder that our genome too is filled with the remains of extinct genes? And while this was decades before we sequenced the human genome, Ono was right. Buried inside your genome right now are molecular fossils, bits of DNA that are so broken that they no longer work. One of these can be found on your eighth chromosome. It's called Gullop, and it used to do something pretty important for our early primate ancestors. It gave them the ability to make their own vitamin C. But all that ended around 61 million years ago in the middle of the Paleocene Epoch, when something happened in the DNA of one of those early primates. The gene effectively died, becoming a pseudogene, a non-functional molecular fossil. And this was a key moment for our lineage. Now, our more distant primate cousins on the other major branch of the family tree, like the lemurs, can still make their own vitamin C, like most other vertebrates. Their branch split off from ours before Gullup became a pseudogene. But ever since the death of Gullup, our side of the primate family tree, the tarsiers, monkeys, and apes, have had to get vitamin C from the food we eat instead. Without that vitamin in our diets, we risk suffering from diseases like scurvy. Or your mitochondria not working. <laughs> so bizarre. Of course, it just died off on its own. Uh, right? It died off on its own. Why, why make your own vitamin C? I mean, soon we won't be making vitamin D either, which we get from the sun and we need supplements. And that's a leading cause of why we have disease. But, you know, this was just a random gene that just needed to go away. Right? That we were self-sufficient and that we didn't need food. We made everything we needed in order to operate. Okay. Now, if you believe in the whole thing that we come from monkeys, we do come from bananas too, and trees and oranges and onions, because we share the same genetic codes, believe it or not. But for some reason, we are no longer just self-sustainable. 
And gullop isn't the only dead gene we carry with us. There are thousands of them, and we've only just begun to unravel their stories. But one thing is already clear. We're not just defined by the genes we've gained over the course of our evolution, but also by the genes we've lost along the way. Over 90% of our genome doesn't actually code for anything. And embedded in all this non-coding DNA, like bones in rock, are fossilized pseudogenes, sequences that were once active but are now basically dead. With so they'll just cut them out for you with vaccines and replace them with shit they want. A few rare exceptions. We've now found around 20,000 of them in our genome. This rivals the number of genes we have that are still active. And we know where a lot of these pseudogenes came from. In many cases, they're the result of ancient gene duplication events. This happens when a gene is duplicated into two identical daughter genes, and one copy dies, leaving one functional copy behind. Others, like Gullup, are unitary pseudogenes. There was only one of them in the genome, and when it died, there was no backup copy, so its function was lost. So how do genes die? Well, the short answer is mutations. Mutations occur randomly in our DNA all the time. They're totally normal and a source of new variation, and variation is the raw material for evolution. Occasionally, mutations occur at particular spots in a gene that inactivate it, which prevents the instructions it carries from being translated into a protein. And that's what happened to Gullup around... You mean, for some reason, that portion of the DNA was not allowed to create RNA, uh, to be able to transcribe proteins and activities within your cell, okay? So it by itself decided one day, I'm going to stop coding, right? I don't need to make vitamin C, even though it's imperative to keep the turgidity of my mitochondria and to keep me um, functioning at optimal capacity. I, my body, decides that it's going to stop doing it, Okay. Makes sense. Totally legit. 61 million years ago, a mutation inactivated it, turning off its ability to make an enzyme that's a key part of making vitamin C. Without that enzyme, our ancestors couldn't produce the vitamin. And this is part of the bigger picture of how evolution works, too. If a mutation that inactivates a gene reduces fitness or the ability of an organism to survive and reproduce, natural selection will get rid of it by selecting against the individuals that carry the mutation. Oh, so what if the people that get vaccinated then suddenly lose the ability to, I don't know, make vitamin D or uh, process cholesterol? then suddenly natural selection will occur and they will all die off and figure out how they can supplement that to survive. You know, just saying. This process keeps useful genes free of mutations. But if the loss of the gene doesn't reduce fitness, then this mutation can spread throughout a population. This can happen either through a random process called genetic drift or through natural selection. So in other words, if you don't die from that, what they'll do is they'll give you medicine, like give you oranges, tons of it. So that way you survive. And then your kids will also then have that mutation, that deleted gene that you don't need anymore. And then their kids, and in about three generations, you may not be able to reproduce or 
may not be able to have vitamin D. And suddenly you're not allowed to get the supplements anymore and you die. And that way they can selectively choose who lives and who dies. And if you can't procreate, you know, then you just need to get upgraded. I mean, that's usually how it goes. You can manipulate the extinction of a gene by eliminating it and ensuring that it will spread throughout the population kind of like what we're seeing now. <laughs> Funny how all 30 and 40 year olds now can't make babies. We are having a problem with babies, tons of them. Eventually the mutated gene can become fixed, meaning it's the only version of that gene left in a species gene pool. In the case of Gullop, we don't know if its death increased fitness, but it probably didn't reduce it. When it became inactive, our early ancestors were likely already getting a lot of vitamin C from eating fruit. This resource was becoming more abundant as tropical forests expanded throughout the Paleocene and fruiting plants continued to diversify. It's been suggested that the loss of their vitamin C gene wasn't a big deal for those primates. So basically the primates, what she's saying, or the people, whatever, were suddenly given vitamin C fruits. So if you have enough vitamin C, your body will stop creating the protein to make your own vitamin C because then you get too much vitamin C, right? Uh, so it's going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to use it anymore. And in effect, you stop making what you need. So you have to think, what other things are you ingesting or using that prevent your body from doing it itself to then stop it from working at all? I mean, this is how uh, psychiatric medication works too. If you can't create certain chemicals in your brain, right? You take medicine and you make them, but then you're fully dependent on those medicines because even the few receptors that you had or uh, ability to create those you know, those chemicals yourself will not be manifesting because your body will already know you have an abundance in it anyway. Same thing goes when you're overactive. You take medicine to silence those and say, I don't need you to work anymore. Stop doing your job, Sal. You're making way too much. Look, I'm shutting you up and I'm giving the amount that's needed. See, that's how it works. That's how it works because they could get it easily from the environment instead. So gene death isn't necessarily bad. It creates opportunities for evolution and can even be good depending on the environment and the ecological context in which it happens. And Gullup definitely wasn't our last broken gene. About 44 million years later in the early Miocene epoch, our hominoid ape ancestors lost another gene, UOX. This gene coded for a protein called uricase, an ancient enzyme produced by organisms from bacteria to mammals. Apes like us are the odd exception. The function of the uricase enzyme is to break down uric acid, a waste product of metabolism. When UOX became a pseudogene around 17 million years ago by molecular dating estimates, apes lost this enzyme. Now, all that's left of UOX is its molecular fossil, which is entombed in our first chromosome. And like Gullup, its loss has some consequences for us even today. For example, humans and the other living apes all have high uric acid levels in our blood. They're between three and 10 times higher than other mammals who 
still have functioning uricases and can break down the acid effectively. This means that we can get diseases like gout, which is when uric acid builds up in our blood, forms crystals, gets deposited in our joints, and causes painful swellings. So how and why did we lose such a useful gene? To figure it out, in 2014, a team of researchers studied ancient mammalian uricase enzymes using a technique called ancestral sequence reconstruction. By comparing both the genes and protein sequences of uricase enzymes found in mammals living today, they were able to reverse engineer what the sequences of ancient uricase genes and proteins would have been at different points in the past. Then, and brace yourselves because this sounds like science fiction, they physically resurrected these ancient uricase proteins by building them in the lab. They then performed a series of experiments on the resurrected proteins to see if they worked. And they found that the oldest uricase proteins they resurrected, dating back to 90 million years, was really good at processing uric acid. But uricases from around 40 million years ago in the mid-Eocene epoch had already picked up mutations that made them less efficient. And over the next 20 million years, primate uricases from the Oligocene and early Miocene epochs were even less efficient. So the UOX gene becoming inactive around 17 million years ago was actually only the final step in a series of mutations stretching back tens of millions of years. Why your case gradually stopped working over time is still mysterious, but there is evidence to suggest that the final stages of UOX's decline may have given our ancestors an evolutionary advantage. You see, UOX's death happened at a time when the Earth's climate was cooling. For our fruit-eating ape ancestors, this was a bad thing. It meant that fruit was no longer available year-round. Sure, there'd be plenty during the summer, but very little in the winter. Enter uric acid. One of the few advantages of having a lot of uric acid is that it stimulates the creation and accumulation of fat from fructose, a sugar commonly found in fruit. And it's been hypothesized that having less active and eventually inactive uricase enzymes made our ape ancestors better able to store fat during times when fruit was abundant and to survive off those fat stores during leaner times. To test this idea, the researchers inserted the resurrected ancient uricases into human cells in the lab. As expected, they found when the cells were given fructose, they were worse at turning the sugar into fat compared to normal human cells with no working uricases. So there's evidence that the loss of the UOX gene and the enzyme it coded for may have given our lineage a survival advantage. Sometimes in genetics, less is more. And if you've noticed that all of the genes we've talked about so far are linked to food, well, there's a good reason for that. Food availability is one of the most important and rapidly changing pressures that living things face. So shifts in our diets have played a huge part in molding our genomes. We see this again in our taste receptors, a dynamic group of genes in vertebrates that allow us to perceive different tastes. Their birth and death is tightly linked to changes in the diet of a species. In the genomes of carnivores with all-meat diets, for example, we often see that sweet taste receptor genes have died, becoming pseudogenes. As omnivores, we humans have a relatively well-rounded set of taste receptor genes. We can pick up on all of the major taste groups pretty well. Sweet, sour, umami, salty, and bitter. 
And it's in that group of bitter taste receptors that we find some of our most recent pseudogenes. Right now, our DNA contains 25 working bitter taste receptor genes. Each of them is thought to be associated with tasting specific families of compounds. And for millions of years, they've helped our ancestors tell which plants are good to eat and which might be toxic. We've also lost quite a few. Okay, so someone asked what umami is. Okay, umami is the taste of meat. Um, that's that's usually located at the back of your tongue. It's like beef, pork, you know, meat. It's called umami. Um, there's actually a berry that you can take and eat. There's a specific berry that you can put in your mouth and chew on it. And even if you eat a lemon, it'll taste sweet. It um, masks... Uh, all your taste buds receptors, it blocks them just like medication does. That's how I want you to think of it. It tricks them into thinking that everything is sweet. So you'll eat a lemon and you'll think it's sweet. You'll eat steak and it'll taste like sugar. Um, so umami would be considered something along the savory side, but it's really not savory. It's meat. It is the meat, meat portion because savory would be salt and bitter and sour with the umami inside as well, right? So umami is meat. Um, I just wanted to say, I'm showing this to you because this is quite important for you to understand exactly how editing is done. And, uh, you know, everything that we've been doing from cosmetics to taking supplements. When you take a supplement, if you have too much, of something, your body will stop producing it. Now, there are times, like for me, I'm missing a portion of an organ that is specific to create a certain vitamin. That vitamin, I have to supplement with intramuscular injections. Now, if I wasn't missing it, I would just enrich the foods that trigger that gene to make what it needs to make. For example, um, when uh, I was I was told that I had something wrong with um, my kidneys, um, what I've incorporated is um, beets. Uh, beets actually trigger um, specific uh, mechanisms within your kidneys to operate. This is why you can see your clearance rate. If you ever want to test how good you clear urine from your body or how fast you you know you pee stuff out, uh, eat some beets. And you'll see that you'll be peeing pink or red uh, and you'll be able to count the time from the time you ate it and how long it took your body to process it. So you will know your functional rate um, because it does that. Or asparagus, you'll smell it. You won't see it, but you'll definitely smell it if you eat asparagus because these are all triggers. Um, they all have compounds and enzymes that trigger certain activities within your body. Now for the beets, uh, it's just that their color doesn't dissipate and you can check the functional rate. And for asparagus, they actually trigger things to get done. So it's actually quite good for you. Uh, so there are many, many things you can do to retrain your body to use things if you're not. Uh, cosmetics like makeup, um, sunscreen, all these things actually have chemicals that reduce your body's ability to create vitamin D. So it's causing you more harm than good by wearing these things. I mean, I'm 43, knock on wood. I have not cracked wrinkles around my eyes yet. I look tired sometimes, but no wrinkles yet. And that's because the one thing I listened to my mother was don't wear heavy makeup in sunlight. 
do your face up when you're going somewhere where it's artificially lit um, and there is no sunlight. Uh, that was number one. Number two was don't per perfume things on your face during the day and try, you know, the SPF, it needs to not have certain, you know, the titanium dioxide in it uh, so it doesn't block your body's ability to make vitamin D. Uh, and, and that's, you know, because it harbors the ability for the, the, the skin to actually produce it. So by taking supplements, we're actually causing more harm than good. Um, even though they make us feel better, it's, it, we're dependent on them because our bodies then aren't given the hints to do it themselves. So it's a catch 22. Like, what do you do? And we take supplements because the foods we eat are hindering our ability to make those vitamins. They're highly processed. They're all genetically modified. Like in my house, there would never be a time that there would be a Mountain Dew there. It clearly says genetically modified something on it. And for that reason, it's a no. <laughs> I, you know, my daughters, when they want to mess with me, they're like, I'll get a Mountain Dew. And they just get that look like, mm. so this is something they know. They know that vaccines, they know that inserting mRNA, they know that giving you these medications is all a guessing game to them of what they silence and what they do. This is why when they created the heart medication that's now known as Viagra, they noticed that blood flow was better. It just flowed to the wrong organ a lot, right? So <laughs> what their target organ was, the heart, to help, uh, you know, it kind of gave every male a stiffy. And that's because, you know, the, 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 the actual penis of a male is sponge, is like a sponge. It's actually called spongiosum. And the more blood that goes to it, the more it engorges, and that's why it swells. So, see, the medic they don't know. It's a hit or miss. This is why there's something called off-label use of medications. Because they test and they try, and then they see things differently. Magnesium. I just saw that fly on the chat. So important. Um, for those of you that have problems sleeping, I would highly suggest this. And I actually reminded myself to do this. Um, I actually made a spray with magnesium, have to use that really lightly. But when I find that I have problems sleeping, especially lately, cause I've been feeling a little bit under, you know, under, you know, just not feeling optimal and I haven't been sleeping well, even the few hours that I sleep, I need to sleep well. I spray some on my arms, on my chest, and that's it. Other people can soak in a bathtub filled with magnesium to replenish the magnesium uh, you know, that they need. And they do that every couple of weeks. Uh, so, um, magnesium actually really helps you sleep. Like I kid you not for those of you that are deficient in magnesium, you will see that. And that happens because of our foods, right? You will see that if you get yourself from Amazon, what are they called? Magnesium flakes. And you fill up a bathtub and you sit in it that night, you're going to be sleeping like a baby, not because you took a bath. You're going to be dribbling. Like you're going to, pass out and you're going to be like, what happened? That was like the best sleep of my life. Right. But, um, I usually just put some in a spray bottle with some water and I mix it. And then I spray it on my hands and on my chest before I go to bed. Um, not too much, just a little bit. And boy, you get deep sleep right there. So, um, so as, as you know, your obviously your largest organ is your skin. You know that. So why am I showing this to you? Have we lost those genes or were, are they excised specifically 
for certain purposes. And this is what we're seeing happening with silencing and amplifying of genes through the use of vaccinations. I had shown you a couple of years ago, I think, that video where they were discussing of targeting what makes people religious or having faith and how they discussed creating a vaccine and a virus for the Middle East in order to lower the frequencies of you know, radical religious actions uh, that come from religious beliefs, right? Because they know how this works. But on the other hand, it's a computer system, so it's a shot in the dark. They're seeing all these fossils, but they really don't know what it is. And if anyone proved that you can't mess with code that you don't know, it's kind of like on your computer. Have you ever deleted a file and then your computer's just not working? And you were like, but I thought it was a stupid file. Like, I didn't know what it was. That's what they're doing. That's basically what's happening here. And uh, Craig Mentner, when he tried to uh, revamp the um, mycobacterium genitalium to spit out fuel, what he did was he deleted genes that he considered virulent. He dumbed down the code of that actual bacterium to just basically metabolizing, but that only worked in a controlled environment, which means controlled air, controlled temperature and everything. The minute it went out into nature, the virulence came back. It's like these genes have like tucked away code somewhere so they can still do their thing. So all the genes have copies and little bits and pieces. So these aren't fossils. They're not fossils. That's your memory. That's your full memory. Hence why it's called unlocking potential or, oh, it clicked. When you start to get something, everything starts to unravel. Think of it like a zipper, the way the proteins are coded. That's the way information is decoded in your mind too. It's already there. You're just unlocking it. We carry 11 dead bitter taste receptor pseudogenes, and two of them died relatively recently, sometime after our last common ancestors with chimpanzees and bonobos. And we know that these two genes died before we split from the Neanderthals and Denisovans around 500,000 to 600,000 years ago, because their genomes also contained the same two pseudogenes with the exact same inactivating mutations. So these genes very likely died in a common ancestor of ours and their molecular fossils were inherited by all three groups. So what happened to these two bitter taste receptors? Well, the last few million years of our evolution saw huge changes in our eating habits. We started eating more meat and eventually learned to cook with fire, which often makes plant foods less toxic. Our cultural knowledge of food sources became more and more sophisticated, and we became able to transmit this information through language. And all of these changes might have meant that the ability to tell the difference between their plant compounds became less and less important as time went by. When these two bitter taste receptor genes mutated and died, there wasn't enough evolutionary pressure to save them, and their pseudogenes became molecular fossils shared by our species and our closest cousins. Evolutionary genomics is still a young science. It's a very young science because they don't know what they're talking about most of the time. Now let's go into a little bit of, uh, we're going to take a break, but I just wanted to run through quickly what is considered personal health information because we're going to get into this. This is really important and it's important that we um, understand this very clearly, okay? So personal health information 
is medical information, medical condition, diagnoses, treatment plans, prescription info, disabilities, physician notes, x-rays, medical imagery that relates to anything medical, mental, psychological, dental, vision, right? That is what personal health information is, right? There's, there's three types. Let's put it this way. Demographic info, medical info, and what it's relating to. So your demographic info is your name, your address, your phone number, your social security, your driver's license, your ID, your biometric, your fingerprint, or other like DNA, iris scanning. Those are all demographic info, right? Your medical information, right? If someone has your demographic info and medical information, which is like your condition, diagnosis, vaccines you've had, medications you've taken, treatment plans, um, disability, physician notes, x-rays, whatever other medical imagery, if they have your demographic info and one of those pieces of information, that's considered protected health information, okay? Protected health information, right? personal health information, protected health information. So that, that's key to understand, okay? That's number one. Number two, um, why is information as such being protected? Now, what people need to understand is that there are exceptions in FERPA and HIPAA when, listen to this, health and safety emergency disclosures that's um, section 9931A10 and section 9936. So disclosure is necessary to protect the health or safety of the student or other individ individuals. This is talking about education, okay? Because most of us that are parents are concerned about this. To appropriate parties whose knowledge of information is necessary to protect the health or safety of the student, like the student, whose information they have or of other people and to appropriate parties typically means local state, federal law enforcement, trained medical personnel, public health official and parents, right? And it must be related to an actual impeding or eminent emergency, imminent emergency, sorry. So this is where FERPA is out the window where you're not protected by that federal law of privacy is under health or safety emergency disclosures. Now, while universities demand that you are vaccinated, they have no right to enforce that upon you, right? They don't have that right. And for the reasons of being is that, dude, if you're vaccinated, you're safe. I'm just not safe. And why would you need my medical records if I'm not psychotic and I'm not going to go around killing people and I don't have a psychiatric diagnosis, then that's fine. If I have some uh, hindrance in learning cognitive disabilities, that's something I share with you so you can help me succeed. But I don't understand why you need my vaccination records, you know, when I can't spread anything to anyone. And if they're vaccinated, they should be fine. So it's none of your business. But I just wanted to point out that there are laws already in place. And so... When we come back, I want us to kind of talk about these things. Um, so more specifically, I want you guys to understand what the panic is now on a global scale with regards to our nation, because they're really freaking out about us. I'll see you all in just a bit. I can feel it come 
Excellent rendition, right? Makes you listen to the words. Makes you listen to the words. So um, let's get to the juice of this. So I'm going to show you how the best is yet to come. I saw that someone on the channel actually shared an episode of mine where I let you in on a lot more than I should have two years ago because it was falling on deaf ears anyway, per se, right? Per se, because they're many, many people that have been reading on alternative channels and image boards for a longer time. Uh, going mainstream was very specific to changes and pressures. It's really important that we understand the laws that we have and why I say while we still can. And I say this because they're going to push hard really, <laughs> they're pushing hard real fast. Um, those letters to your attorney generals, your representative and Senate, to all of them are very, very important. Very important. You are only free on paper. I stress that. You have been enslaved more than you can imagine. It goes deeper than anything. And while everyone wants to focus on the crimes of the child and human trafficking and the drugs that will not stop if you don't take away their power. You can fight it all you want, but if the agencies aren't working with you, the ones that you vested with trust to do so because they're owned by them, how do you stop it? By talking about it, maybe sharing pictures and memes, that's not going to help. That's not going to help because they're still going to be doing it. That's the point. So let's listen to what Chucky said yesterday when asked about COVID passports. This is very important. Listen to her words carefully. And you will understand exactly what they are planning to do. Exactly what they, what I told you they would do, but you know, you don't have to hear it from me. You can hear it from them. That way you feel more comfortable because apparently I don't know what I'm talking about all these years. 
Here we go. Passport uh, mm -hmm. in the COVID briefing this morning. He said it's primarily going to be spearheaded by the private sector. But what's the president's position on whether once the vaccine is more readily available, businesses should be able to tell employees who don't want to get the vaccine for whatever reason that they can't come back into the workplace or that airlines could reject people from getting on the plane if they have decided not to get a vaccine? Well, we're going to provide guidance just as we have through the CDC. Uh, there's currently um, an interagency process that is looking at many of the questions around vaccine verification. And that issue will touch many agencies as ver verification is an issue that will potentially touch many sectors of society as you. Look at how she says it. Look at how she says it. She says, well, some employers, now that it's going to be more readily available, can tell people you can't work because you're not taking it. That's called medical discrimination. That's called discrimination based on your medical condition. That is already against the law. So they've already started their intra-agency because they've got Ron Klain, and we already know what kind of interest he has in this, and it's called money. But regardless, look at how she's responding. Oh, we're going to give guidance. Guidance on what? How to break the federal law? Have you guys read the laws that they're passing lately that will, um, you know, kind of cancel out federal and state laws? Work with your states, guys. Listen carefully. You have certainly alluded to. Um, that's guidance we'll provide. We expect, as, as Andy Slavitt, I think, alluded to, that uh, a determination or development of a vaccine passport or whatever you want to call it uh, will be driven by the private sector. Ours will more be focused on guidelines that can be used as a basis. And uh, there are a couple key principles that we are working from. One is that there will be no centralized universal federal vaccinations database and no federal mandate requiring everyone to obtain a single vaccination credential. So that was a lie right there, that there's no federal vaccination database. There already is within the NIH. They're collecting information for the cohorts. So she just lied. She lied. But she also said something key. Listen to that carefully again. Working from one is that there will be no centralized universal federal vaccinations database and no federal mandate requiring everyone to obtain a single vaccination credential. So she already said there will be no federal mandate to force people to get a vaccine. So working for the government, they can't exclude you. That means if you're a teacher, right? Or if you're a student, right, because they get federal funds, they cannot force you to get a vaccine. Remember that. A single vaccination, not meaning one vaccine, meaning any one vaccine. Second, we want to encourage an open marketplace with a variety of private sector companies and nonprofit coalitions developing solutions. And third, we want to drive the market toward meeting public interest goals. So we'll leverage our resources. So they're going to leverage their resources, which is Congress and the Senate, to see what the public wants, right? So the private sector is going to do what the private sector wants. Right now, whatever private sector has sent you an email saying, in order to maintain employment, you need to get a vaccine, is liable for illegal activity and discrimination. So anyone you may know that has that, that is a, that's medical discrimination, which is already by state and federal laws illegal. Okay. So she's already said that there's not going to be a federal mandate. And she said, and she stressed it, it's going to be private companies, private companies, 
private companies, and we'll create the resources and nonprofits that are going to do all that information to see what the public wants. You know, what all these vaginas, right, that sit there and trust their government and think that they're going to die, even though they're, if you're vaccinated, you should be safe. What are you worried about? This is where the vax debate starts. And you know what's how, what what is really awesome? Is that this is where the right and the left can see together. Because a lot of these libtards are all about nature. And I love everyone. And I don't do vaccines. I don't put that in my body. I believe in being vegan. But you're vegan, but you took monkey cells, bovine. You're totally against being, you know, what you said. I don't, um, I don't practice regular medicine. I focus on this. And that's everyone's right. I'm the person that's like, if I got something, don't tell me. I mean, to, to you know, I think my body can help itself and using technology is great. I actually yesterday came across, you know, I've been going to appointments and I found someplace where I can actually use my stem cells um, to help me, which is amazing, right? Within the United States. That's so awesome. So I just wanted to say, I urge you to pay attention to who's driving it. I, I said it was going to be the private companies. It always is them because the corporations run your nation. If you don't get it yet, this should be spelling it out for you like no other. Listen again to what the reporter is saying and listen to what Chucky is saying again. Do you have a vaccine passport uh, mm -hmm. in the COVID briefing this morning? He said it's primarily going to be spearheaded by the private sector. But what's the president's position on whether once the vaccine is more readily available, businesses should be able to tell employees who don't want to get the vaccine for whatever reason that they can't come back into the workplace or that airlines could reject people from getting on the plane if they have decided not to get a vaccine? Well, we're going to provide guidance just as we have through the CDC. Uh, there's currently um, an interagency process that is looking at many of the questions around vaccine verification. And that issue will touch many agencies as ver verification is an issue that will potentially touch many sectors of society, as you have certainly alluded to. Uh before we listen to that, just keep in mind, for all of you that go to doctor's appointments and they mandate that you get a vaccine, you know, you should go file a, a, a medical discrimination form. They can't do that. It's medical discrimination. That is the law. Get them on the law. The law is the law. They haven't changed that yet. You're still free on paper. Use it. Kind of like the way I went around using laws they haven't changed and aren't even looking at to get back at social media companies. You have to focus on what you have available to you now. If a, if a hospital tells me, well, you need to get tested in order to come in, I'll say, under what right? Are you considering me a risk? No, but I need to check to keep other people safe. That's fine. I'm wearing a mask. Don't you feel comfortable? I don't need to. Well, then we're refusing you treatment. That's where you're like, okay, fair enough. Put that in writing. Put in writing that you were refusing me treatment because I refuse to get tested. Tell them to put it in writing. Not tell you. Tell them, okay. Put it in writing. You can demand it in writing. And you will stand there until the administrator comes and says, put it in writing because I'm going to sue you for medical discrimination. You are refusing treatment and you're getting federal funds and it is against the law to medically discriminate. This is medical discrimination. You tell them that you will get your way, but you have to say it in a nice way. Don't say it in my angry way. 
because I will lose my shits. <laughs> I will sit there and tell them, burn your freaking degrees. You, <laughs> I will sit there and be very mean. So use your level head. Don't, don't say like I would, but tell them to put it in writing and then tell them, say that you are refusing treatment, right? Because I refuse to subject myself to a test that I do not consent to. That's what you need to put. Write it down. That is exactly what's happening. Oh, well, you know, the administrator will be like, well, well, no, 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 no. There's federal and state laws that prevent you, right, from discriminating against me for a medical condition. So you're claiming I have a medical condition. You don't know that, right? And you're saying that you want me to subject myself to a test that I do not consent to when I have full consent over everything you do on my body. And therefore, you get tax breaks and tax, you know, holidays and money from the federal government to provide health care, but you've just discriminated against me. So I'd like you to put that in writing. You'll see how fast their tune will change. That's all you have to do is put that in there and file it as a complaint. You have been medically discriminated against. I like, where are all these great lawyers that, you know, believe in, 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 in human rights and civil rights to fight for you? There's a few, there's a few. I mean, for me, I'm not even going to get into that. Let's just listen again carefully to her words. Um, that's guidance we'll provide. We expect, as, as Andy Slavitt, I think, alluded to, that uh, a determination or development of a vaccine passport or whatever you want to call it uh, will be driven by the private sector. Ours will more be focused on guidelines that can be used as a basis. And uh, there are a couple key principles that we are working from. One is that there will be no centralized universal federal vaccinations database and no federal mandate requiring everyone to obtain a single vaccination credential. Second, we want to encourage an open marketplace with a variety of private sector companies and nonprofit coalitions developing solutions. And third, we want to drive the market toward meeting public interest goals. So we'll leverage our resources uh, to ensure that all vaccination credential systems meet key standards, whether that's universal accessibility, affordability, availability, both digitally and on paper. Uh, but those are our standards. It's currently going through an interagency process. We'll make some recommendations and then uh, we believe it will be driven by the private sector. So check this out. How many contracts do companies like Walmart, Target, uh, Starbucks even have with the federal government? A few millions, right? Right? How many do hospitals have? Well, if these private companies transact with our government and they impose that they demand that people are vaccinated to use their services, they have that mandate, we can easily force the federal government to make them lose all those federal contracts because they are violating federal and state law. This is why that letter to the attorney general and to all those, uh, you know, representatives that was sent out by the people of Ohio um, was important because they, they need to know that they're not allowed to by law and it's illegal. This is how you fix things. You take their money. You take their money. Huh. Could you imagine forcing them to lose millions of dollars in contracts? You find a company that sits there and mandates vaccines, you file a suit and you say they have this contract with $2 million with this federal agency. 
this state agency, that state agency, suddenly they're losing money and they're not allowed to do business with the federal government. If a company is enacting an illegal behavior that <laughs> violates the Bill of Rights as well, they're not allowed to have a contract with the federal government or a state government. That's pretty much it. So if Walmart decides that they want COVID passports for you to enjoy their facilities, your state should tell them, if you enact that in my state, you can't have operations in my state. You're banned because you're not abiding by the laws. And if you can't abide by the laws, guess what? You can't operate. That's how you hit them. They can say whatever they want on TV. They could say whatever they want. They could say whatever they want. They could say, well, we're, it's, a, it's a private company. We could do what we want. Yeah, you can, but you can't do it in my state because my state says that you can't discriminate against people based on medical uh, discrimination. You can't. That's also in the ADA. So you can't do that. So if you're breaking the law, you shouldn't be allowed to run a company, <laughs> pretty much. That's basically it. It's a very simple approach. And that is how it has to happen. Anyone else trying to fight them with fire and logic of this is a control of virus, and I'm going to show it to you today so you can understand it, you'll be revisiting this episode at the end of April when shit really hits the fan. It's all about your privacy. It's all about that. But you know, they really want to have every little tidbit of you, every single facet of you they need to have access to and know. And none other than George Stephanopoulos tells you it. Yes, he does. He talks about it on Good Morning America, which by the way, I found out that one of the churches here in Cleveland, which I'm actually going to on Sunday, his dad is a priest there. Uh, you all knew that he was a priest's son, right? Yeah. His dad is a Greek Orthodox priest, man. He needs to do a lot of prayers for his boy. So let's move it along. Take a listen to what they are telling you about COVID passports. Set for approval this week. There are new questions about whether you will soon need to prove you've been vaccinated before heading to work, school, or vacation. Serene Shah joins us with that story. Good morning, Serene. Good morning, George. For airlines and venues, proof of a vaccine could be the ticket to getting back to normal. With the first COVID vaccine just weeks away in the U.S., this morning, questions swirling. Could businesses, schools, sporting events, or even airlines make you prove you've taken the shot? Qantas Airways saying it is considering requiring travelers to show proof of vaccination before boarding their international flights. What we're looking at is how you can have a vaccination a passport, an electronic version of it that certifies what the vaccine is. Is it acceptable to the country you're traveling to? Several companies are working on these so-called vaccination passports like Clear, IBM and Change Healthcare, working in partnership. Oh, look, Ron Klain's company. <laughs> yep, totally not an emoluments thing. Ship with various airlines and grocery stores like Albertsons and Walgreens to upload lab results into an app. What we really think we can do is to make that circumstance uh, in the patient's control, make it secure, and make it as available to all the venues where it might need to be used. Businesses and large venues could ask for proof of a vaccine from the app, similar to pulling up a boarding pass on your phone. The people coming in aren't going to create any kind of super spreader event, certainly travel, and frankly, letting us all get our lives back, being able to go to concerts and restaurants, 
Oh, so this is how you get your life back. We push a vaccine that is meant for something else. And then you put everyone on a database that every single private company and every single venue on the planet has with facial recognition or iris recognition to know all your business because you're not entitled to privacy if you want to venture out of your house. Okay, I see. And other venues where we feel that we can safely interact with others and they feel that they can safely interact with us. Okay, so this is how it would work. For companies like Claire, you would link your lab data to the app. It would show green if you've taken the vaccine, red if you haven't. This is an easy, quick way to get hundreds or thousands of people into a venue. And these companies assure me that it is very safe, just like going through TSA. Michael? All right, Doreen, thank you so much. And now we're going to bring in our chief legal analyst, Dan Abrams. I wonder if ABC, who's been posing with the Biden-Harris administration company and thumping it, is getting a kickback. Rooms, good morning to you, Dan. And uh, Dan, what does the law say about whether an employer can require workers to get the vaccine? So on employers, the answer is yes, but. <laughs> yes, with regard to private employers, in the vast majority of cases, you're what's called an employee at will meaning you can be fired for any reason that's not discrimination, not based on race or gender or sexual orientation. So if they say, Oops, he just missed out on the ADA, which is medical discrimination. If you're handicapped, taking a certain medication, if you have a certain ailment, or guess what? If you're vaccinated, that's actually included because it's considered a course of care and medications you take. That's a requirement of the workplace. That's going to be a requirement of the workplace. The but is that there will be exemptions. For example, if there's a medical reason that you can't get it, that would be an exemption. In certain states, there can be religious exemptions or moral objections. But on the whole, people may be required uh, by their employer to get that vaccine. Ah, I can't wait for the first one to come down. You guys, don't keep thumping just religious exemptions, personal uh, ideas, uh, you know, personal beliefs or medical things. Don't push on that. They want you to push on that because then they're going to say you're vulnerable. You can't come. Don't push on that. Push on the law. He said, if it's discrimination, they can't fire you. They are discriminating against you for having a medical condition, which means you are not vaccinated. Get it straight. They are already laying the grounds excluding the sauce of it, which is medical discrimination. Having a vaccine is a medical condition, period. It's discrimination. It is medical discrimination. Call it by its name. He knows he's lying. He knows he's excluding it. It's the law, federal and state. They can't wiggle out of that but they can make people think that they can. And then everybody jumps on the, I'm a Jehovah witness train, which I already said, we're all Jehovah witnesses. Right. But I said that oh, a long time ago. Right. But we don't want to jump on that train. We don't want to ride that train until it's dead. You want to ride the train of the law. As long as you have it, they can't, they cannot exclude medical discrimination. They can't. What are they going to say? Um, uh, medical discrimination includes everything except for what medications you take. Well, what about people with, um, you know, anxiety issues? So they're not allowed to be there. 
Um, yeah, except for people with that. And what about people that have depression? Except people with that. So you're going to be very specific to just isolate people that aren't vaccinated. That's also discrimination. So they can't remove that. They give you the illusion that they're in power. They're not. Pay attention. She even told you, well, it's what the public interests want. I, any employer that tells you, and you're part of the Tory Says group, that you are forced to get a vaccine or you get fired, let one of my admins know. I want to see the paperwork. I will help you formulate the right letter to fuck them hard because they are playing a card that they don't have. They're bluffing and you're, they're going to bluff you all the way to your grave. You have to understand this. This is what it's all about. And I'll tell you why, because president Trump has already understood it. And if you listen to that clip of my 2019 show, I kind of told you what was going to be happening. So here's how you're going to see the who already knows what's going to happen. And they're like, don't do it. Don't do it. But they're testing it. They're like, look, man, people shut down their businesses. They're so stupid. They're just wearing masks. They're not even fighting about it. They're just, you know, whatever. Well, listen. And how about local government in public and private schools? How about those? Yeah, so I don't expect that governments are going to do it in a big way. But the answer to that is they probably could. But first, we would need FDA approval. Right now, the, the vaccine is going to be working on what's called emergency use authorization, meaning in essence, the FDA is authorizing its use, but it's not giving the full level of FDA approval. That's a higher standard. I don't see you're going to see, I don't think you're going to see any government action uh, unless there was full FDA approval. And even then it would be local governments. And even then, I don't expect it to happen, although it has happened in the past with regard to smallpox and measles. We have seen a local governments require vaccines. And there are a lot of places where people are in close proximity to each other, like sports arenas, airplanes. So can it be required for those places as well? Yeah, I think those are going to be some of the first places uh, that we're going to see it. Again, you're talking, again, if it's a private uh, stadium or an airline where they're going to simply say, sorry, you can't you know, use our facility. You can't come here. Sorry, then we're not using your airlines in our nation and you can't come here because you're not abiding by our laws. That is plain and simple. We have more power than they tell you. An airline can say whatever the fuck they want. We don't care. The law is the law. They cannot medically discriminate. People are so easily swayed into listening. Now, now, I want you, I want you. I'm going to play the clip actually from 2019 and then I will play the clip from the who because the who is giving a stern warning. Okay. Stern warning. So let me play that clip for those of you that didn't see it on telegram. I'm going to play that clip. Why would you come to the United States as an illegal immigrant when there are zero jobs, when we have, you know, over 13% of the population with no job, and those are the people that declare it because there's a lot of people that don't even declare unemployment because they may be 1099s or maybe they're just housewives and don't have to claim that they're unemployed. The bottom line is no jobs bringing in people. 
That is the recipe to create a collapse. And when you have a collapse, what do you have? Voluntarily forfeiting your rights, forfeiting your rights to your health. I just wanted to say that's from 2019, April 2019. Why would you come to the United States in states filled with people that are just ghettos, that literally live off the government? In, in, in England, when they... Uh, began this whole government system living off the queen. They call them council. They're from the council, like from their area. And there's like sections of cities, like the New York projects, for example, like in Queens, there's like the projects, right? So th this is how you segregate communities, the wealthy communities, the poor communities. This was the plan. The plan was to make you a slave. You already are one but you still have the right to fight now. And forced labor is just that. They force you to work. They say, if you're not working enough, you can't get benefits, but I don't have a job, then do this for us. They force you into the situation where they can control every facet of your life, from your finances, to your health, to your family, to your shelter, to your access to even clean water. We saw that up in Michigan where the mayor was so proud to suddenly take it from another source because it would cut a few dollars off of his budget, right? You remember when he did that switch and then the lead just went up, up, up. And all the doctors were saying it's the water and they shut them up. They said, stop, stop talking. Two years, these people were plagued with diseases. In the name of what? The government making choices for the people. The government making choices that are thrifty for them but at the expense of the people. This is where it's going. The president has been saying it in a nice way. I thought if you understood what forced labor is and what slavery is, it would be easier. So he's been telling us these little facets throughout his time of talking about human trafficking, child slavery, trafficking, 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 drugs, 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 and how important it is to build the wall. The reason we need to build the wall, everyone says, is to keep the Mexicans out. When the economy globally collapses, just like on cue, everyone will be fleeing to come to the United States because this is the only economy that will be thriving. We will have tons of jobs, but enough jobs for the people that are on our side of the wall, not for the others. And people will be running. And this is going to be a bad thing to view. To see people go through something like the depression in the early 1900s when we switched from a gold-backed currency to the Federal Reserve. The reason we need this wall is to keep people now, not because they're all bad, but because we need to regulate it to make sure our economy doesn't collapse. Could you imagine if we switched over to the gold standard and globally the economy collapsed overnight, how many people will be coming through the border? We won't be able to stop them. They will be stomping through. So I guess the Democrats paying for these caravans and these invasions coming in is a good thing in one sense, because we're understanding how to deal with mass infiltration, understanding how they move. So it's a good thing in that sense that we're understanding how they move, how they traffic them, how they fly in, which countries they're coming from and the routes they take because that's what we target first. So in a way it's good because once we do, 
get rid of this fiat currency, like I said, you migrate where there's money. You migrate where there's hope for the future. And this will be the hope for the future because the United States owns the Federal Reserve. No, it doesn't. The Federal Reserve resides in the United States. It's a private company. Sorry, I misspoke. What I'm trying to say is it's here in the United States. And once we kill it, and that's the head of, of, of the snake, the snake of these fake monopoly monies that are regulating the economy where they could, with a click on a computer, inject more money and drive inflation and manipulate it because there's nothing tangible behind it. Once we cut that head off, the tail will be wagging across the globe, but we'll be fine because the economy is strong and the president made that clear from the day he took office up until today as he's been tweeting. Now, Adam Schiff is encouraging people to vaccinate themselves. And um, I find this peculiar because I talked to you guys about how um, nations, when they were undergoing a globalist regime change, were undergoing these um, vaccination regimes. And I want to give you a short form code of something called LMICs. That is what uh, the government calls low and middle income countries. Now, why do I say this? When you go and get a vaccine, regardless of what it is, say you go get a tetanus shot, okay? Say you go get your flu vaccine. Say you go get your measles vaccine. They're all bar-coded and they're all different batches of the vaccine sent to different areas. Now, they collect a lot of data. And if you read the fine print when you get it, and when you authorize the doctor to do so, you have to understand that statistics are being collected, information about you are being collected, and not with your name on it, but it would say, Joe, 24, unemployed, on Medicaid, this is a vaccine number he got. He's going to get a different bottle of vaccine from a different place based on his demographics. I hope you're understanding this. So now the measles, which we all survived, are a huge panic in New York and now L.A. <laughs> Funny where they're at. They need to pull that experiment really, really quickly, right? Because what do we have a lot of in New York and L.A.? A lot of illegal migrants that don't know their rights because they don't really have rights because they're in our country. They only have human rights. And you would say, don't the human rights play into your health? They would. But according to Obama, with his laws, they don't. I just thought I'd bring that up and also mention that um, it was just announced that Joe Biden will be announcing his run for president, which is going to be done. When is it? Hold on. This is breaking. Um, he is announcing his presidential campaign on Thursday with an online video, apparently, so this is going to be interesting. You know what thought came to my mind? And I'm just going to go with my hunch. What if he had Hillary run as his VP? I'm just saying. So that was from 2019 where I was describing how other regimes have taken on vaccine, mass vaccines, and they were already running the experiment. This was, this was uh, telling you about it without telling you about it because a lot was happening in the background that people wouldn't understand.
And uh, like I said, then too, you know, uh, and the president even said it back at that time, you know, they're bringing in diseases from our border and everybody laughed. <laughs> and then they suddenly had measles. Bullshit. They were just testing things to see how fast they can get things done and how they can spark the panic. And right now they're trying to convince you that they have every right to discriminate against you. I saw someone put, well, the mask thing didn't stop them from putting me in Menards. That's because you didn't file a lawsuit. Right. And on top of that, it's an article of clothing. You should have argued it like that. That's the problem. We can argue these things, but that's not a battle worth even fighting. <laughs> the real battle is fighting these mandated vaccines and walking around with an app where everybody and their mother can hack your phone. Oh, don't worry. We're going to make it so secure, right? So secure, right? So secure, so secure. That's why everybody gets hacked right? So secure. You're going to have it on your fingertips, you know, just right there. We're going to share the information with everyone. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is all a conspiracy. Yeah, it freaking is. When they took your health care online universally, <laughs> like Saki totally lied. Oh yeah, you know, we're not going to have a universal database with vaccinations. You already fucking do. That's a lie. I get really, you know, sad and angry. I get sad because people don't realize how much immense power they have. And I get angry with people just complaining and not doing anything. You don't have to go and, you know, march into a courtroom. You can bombard them with letters. Just like the Ohio State Group did today. We just shot off an email to all those emails. Boom. Discrimination, discrimination, because it is medical discrimination. What is medical discrimination? Anything that has to do with your medical information, period. The drugs you take, the drugs you've taken, your mental health, your physical health, your ailments, your diseases, they have no right to take that law away and just dismiss it because they feel like it. But they can con you into thinking they can. So while he sat there saying, and hey, they can fire you, but not for discrimination, but he omitted, right? The medical discrimination, right? That's the thing. He omitted the medical discrimination. And that's purposeful. Because people are stupid. Hey, don't like to hear it. People are freaking stupid. And they let these monsters run them. Which by the way, maybe Saturday or maybe Sunday, we're going to we're going to talk about a place that nobody like nobody talks about. It's kind of interesting, you know, historically, okay? Um you want to call it a mythical place maybe? Yeah. Here on earth, per se. So we're going to talk about that. Uh cuz we should understand the Titans. We should understand Tartarus. We should understand a lot of things. <laughs> One thing we should all agree on is We've got federal and state laws to protect us. We're just not using them. And it's not us to use them ourselves. The people that are supposed to be working for us that are in these offices should be do your job. That's why I ended the letter with do your job. Do your job. This is medical discrimination. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. And it's all fake. You want to know why? Because the who knows what's going to happen. The United States is not taking this COVID passport. 
which means that we will not be trading with the rest of the world, right? Which means that the rest of the world will be shut out, which means since we're not going to be trading with them anymore, we're going to have our own money, which means that they lose a big client, which means every country for themselves, which means this is why the wall is necessary. Do you understand it? Don't believe me? Listen to the who. They're saying it too. The Emergency Committee of WHO have made it clear in their recommendations to the Director General that at this time, at the present time, the requirement for certification of vaccination as a requirement for international travel is not justified as vaccination is not widely enough available and is inequitably distributed throughout the world. We need vaccination policies that don't create in themselves inequity. And we need to be very, very careful that the process of certifying vaccination does not result in personal freedoms or human rights being impeded uh, in any way that is not justified. Why is he saying that? <laughs> because every single nation on this planet will be exclude, excluded. They cannot stop what's coming. That wall is so important. Because if they push the envelope, all of us will push harder. It doesn't take 10 people or a million people to make change. It takes one. Be that one. Be that one person. They said no to COVID vaccinations for international time. They said no, don't do it. It creates inequities. It creates civil and human rights violations. This is the law. They know. They're telling the world, but they're like, shut up, man. People are stupid. We're silencing them on social media. We're silencing them on TV. We're going to be silencing them on the radio. Fuck them. People are dumb. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We can psych them out. They won't even know. They won't even know that they have rights. It'll show whether you've had tests, too. The EU plans to announce its own vaccine passport on Wednesday. It has agreed to develop vaccine passport due to the pressure from tourism-dependent countries like Spain. China has launched its own. Oh, whoa. Doesn't that look like... I don't know. But China launched its own COVID-19 vaccination certificate for citizens planning cross-border travel. I mean, China's doing it. We all have to do it. That's what's up. China, 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 China. And then it says the WHO currently advises against imposing vaccine certification for international travel. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Because you know what it knows? It knows that it's going to blow up in its face. It knows that nations like the United States, ha <laughs> Their people will not allow us to do this, guys. It's going to screw us up. We're going to be in a lot of trouble because if the citizens in the U.S. say, uh-uh, this is a human and civil rights violation, and that's exactly what medical discrimination is, then 
We're going to say no. Other countries are going to be like, well, you can't travel to Australia. Then you can't come and work here, Qantas. You can't come here, British Airways. All those thousands of flights daily that British Airways brings into U.S. airspace will cease. Your market will tank, right? And American Airways will flourish within domestic travel because we've got everything. We've got sunshine, we've got snow, we've got rain, we've got farm, we've got beaches galore. We don't really need to go anywhere. So we could be like, that's okay. You guys do you, we'll do us. And while all of you enslave yourselves, we'll be free people. Fair enough. And then you will beg to play with us. And they will come through our border like crazy. So this is how it has to happen. This is how we get it done through the Seven Nation Army. God bless everyone. See you tomorrow. I'm gonna fight them all. Seven Nation Army couldn't hold me back. They're gonna rip it off. Taking their time right behind my back And I'm talking to myself at night Because I can't forget Back and forth through my mind Behind a cigarette And the message coming from my eyes Says leave it alone